Welcome to the American College of Mohs Surgery podcast series, Conversations in Mohs Surgery, where Dr. Thomas Kanakstat, academic dermatologist and Mohs surgeon in Cleveland, takes a closer look at articles published in the dermatology literature by speaking with the authors and researchers involved. The podcast is an extension of the college's online bibliography, a searchable high-yield article reference library aligned with the Micrographic Surgery and Dermatologic Oncology Fellowship Curriculum, accessible to ACMS members at www.mosecollege.org slash bibliography. Listeners can suggest articles for inclusion in the bibliography or guests for this podcast by sending an email to info at mosecollege.org. That's info at mohscollege.org. Thank you for listening. Hello, this is Dr. Thomas Knackstead once again for Conversations in Mohs Surgery. Today I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Adam Sutton. Adam is an assistant professor and director of Mohs and dermatologic surgery at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Relevant to our conversation today, Adam is also the chair of the PROM Development and QPP Education Subcommittee of the National Registry and Outcomes Committee, which is really a mouthful, and we're going to break a lot of that down during the conversation today. So, Adam, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Hey, good morning, Thomas. Thanks so much for having me on today. I think that this is uh, a really relevant uh, relevant discussion to, to be having, and hopefully we can make this as digestible and enjoyable as, as possible. So I thought what we would do in, in this podcast, uh, again, it's one of our episodes that isn't focused on the single scientific publication or surgical concept, but really we're talking about quality um, within Mohs surgery how quality affects what we do, how we're paid, and what really happens behind the scenes at the Mohs College to make sure that um, all of those things happen uh, for the members. So I guess I'd love to just maybe introduce you a little bit more to the listeners in terms of how did you become interested in quality? Yeah, absolutely. So my, you know, I always feel like it's a quality journey. My quality journey actually just started in in medical school. And I had a number of mentors who um, were really involved on kind of regional and national levels and quality development for their respective specialties. And what I picked up on is that the, the physicians that I was fortunate enough to be mentored by and to work with closely that were involved in quality really felt in, empowered by their involvement. They felt very involved in kind of the day-to-day decision-making, why certain guidelines or measures were being implemented in clinic and followed in clinic. And that motivated me to, to really get involved early on. So after my third year of medical school, I... Uh, decided to uh, attend business school with a healthcare concentration with the goal of really um, understanding our, our healthcare system as well as quality and, and outcome measures to the best of my ability. And, you know, that, that involved, you know, getting the opportunity to work with hospital administrators, with, um, you know, individuals who had a background in the insurance industry, with the pharmaceutical companies, and really just better understanding kind of the, the day-to-day operations of a really complex healthcare healthcare system with my ultimate goal of being able to be an advocate for physicians and be able to impact 
some of the ways that we are practicing medicine, because I think one of the things that we all know is when new measures or new rules or new guidelines are, are implemented, it really dictates how we practice medicine. And I wanted to be able to be involved in the, in the conversations um, that impacted how we, we practiced. And I felt like for me, that would really make a big difference on my overall satisfaction for my career. And so after that, you know, I had the I was fortunate enough during my residency, um, I attended University of Southern California for my dermatology residency to have some longitudinal kind of outcomes work where uh, we did a a two-year longitudinal project measuring patient satisfaction as well as wait times and non-attendance rates in our county clinics and um, stratifying by disease type as well as demographics of our patients. And and I found this just to be really um, interesting work as we try to better understand how we're taking care of our patients, how patients perceive the quality of care that we're delivering, and ultimately, how do we improve the way that we take care of our patients. And, and so this has kind of led me to, to now and the ability to be involved in the National Registry and Outcomes Committee for the American College of Most Surgery and get to learn from real experts in, in the field, uh, Dr. Baum, Dr. Rogers, Dr. Carruth, and and something that I just, I've found really enjoyable. And so over these last couple of years, really seeing how these quality measures impact most surgeons, as well as what role we can play uh, to, to really make, make a difference in how these measures are defined and, and just the work that goes in the back end, the entire team that puts into how we really define um, quality in, in most surgery. Yeah, I always feel like I, I practice or operate in a bubble, you know, being in an academic medical center, if it weren't for my involvement on this committee, m- much of these terms would be fairly meaningless to me. But recognizing that many of our members, including um, my fellowship director, practices in a private practice environment, I think this is a highly relevant topic for our members. So why does quality matter for most surgeons? Yeah, you know, and I think that that's a really important question. So I think quality matters for most surgeons for a number of reasons. Number one, it's how we're, for better or for worse, we're graded on. So, you know, quality metrics are try to define the quality of care that's being provided by an individual or, or a group. And, you know, how those quality metrics are, are set is something that's very important. They're either dictated by the physicians and the physician groups, um, which is why I'm so thankful for what the, the work that's going on by the American College of Most Surgery or they can be dictated by insurance, but they're, they're a measure for the quality of care that's provided. And so we have our metrics and our reports that we get at the end of each year, and it compares us to other, other most surgeons. So it really helps give us an, an idea of where we, we sit compared to the other, other, other most surgeons. It also helps us validate the quality of care that we're providing. And I think that's something that we're all incredibly proud of. You know, we um, are able to, to treat skin cancers in most cases under local anesthesia in an outpatient setting in a very cost effective way with extremely low um, recurrence rates and, and low complication rates. But really, um, for us to be able to, to validate and show that, that quality, we need to have metrics that back it up. It's not just something that we feel, but it's something that we have data that supports. And so I really feel like that those are the two, two of the things that, that quality means for most surgeons. And I think if you further break it down, you're really looking at 
measuring that quality in in one of two ways, at least as it relates to our conversation. You're either looking at processes within the practice. Am I performing a timeout before surgery? Am I continuing my anticoagulation in patients that need it? And then, of course, the, the patient outcomes. What's my patient satisfaction after surgery? What's my patient reporting how this experience went for them? So we'll talk more about that. Um, now, let's just buckle up and, and get right into it. How does this sort of um, elusive conversation about quality actually translate into real measurement and real reimbursement for our members? All right, let's just. And get I think into this is it. where the where the alphabet soup starts, and we'll sort of do our best as we go along, Adam. Maybe to just make sure that we explain all these acronyms that we have here, because I find myself many times as I'm preparing a talk on this or um, contributing to our our conference calls, having to refresh my mind on what these various things actually mean. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's just get into the alphabet soup here. So really, you know, this kind of value journey really started back in, in 2015 when MACRA or the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act was signed into law. And so that was in April of 2015. It repealed the sustainable growth rate and established a two-track Medicare physician payment system, really with an emphasis of moving away from just fee-for-service to value-based payment and delivery. And in order to implement MACRA, the CMS established QPP, which is the Quality Payment Program. And so under QPP, there are two different tracks to measure value or measure quality the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS. And this is really what pertains to most most surgeons. Um, so for those of us that aren't part of large hospital system or, or large academic centers, Merit-Based and payment system, uh, Incentive Payment System is what's most relevant and is gonna be the focus of our conversation. That second track is the Advanced Alternative Payment Model. And Thomas, I think that that's what both you and I fall under. Um, but the advanced alternative payment model really pertains to very few most surgeons. And in order to fall under this model, there's a number of criteria that must be met, but your system must be part of a medical home or bear significant financial risk for taking care of, of patients. And there are different metrics for the advanced alternative payment model. So that's not going to be the, the focus of this conversation. Um, it really falls under MIPS is where we're going to be focused. So who is MIPS eligible? And I think for as members, this is an important question. Uh, do we fall under MIPS or do we fall under the advanced alternative payment model? And really, the vast majority of most surgeons are MIPS eligible. The only ones that are not MIPS eligible is if you participate in Medicare and you bill Medicare Part B less than $90,000 over a year or have less than 200 Part B Medicare patients, um, then you're excluded from, from MIPS. But an easy way to do this is actually go to the QPP uh, participation status tool. So that's on the CMS website and you can type in your NPI and it will actually tell you what model uh, you, you fall under if there is any question related to that. Fantastic. Thanks for that initial overview. And then, of course, what, what we're going to be doing is sort of breaking down MIPS more into its uh, really four 
contributing components. Now, globally, at the end of this, we'll be talking about a, a MIPS score, which is sort of that one final number that we all will be looking at. And basically, based on that MIPS score, your payment will be adjusted. And of course, reporting for 2021, for example, is going to affect the payment rate on Medicare Part B payments in 2023. So there is a lag time with this. But we've got four performance categories associated with MIPS. Quality, cost, promoting interoperability, and improvement activities. So maybe before we dive into those, you, you can talk more, Adam, about the, the, the point system and, and, again, how this translates into a, a score at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of the year, a MIPS final score is calculated. And that's based on those four performance category that you alluded to, Thomas. And that MIPS final score is set between zero and 100 points, with 100 being the maximum achievable points. And the threshold um, for avoiding a penalty has really moved up over the last several years. So in 2021, which impacts 2023 payments, that score of 60 or above must be meant to avoid a penalty. Now, there's also bonus points that are available where you would potentially get a premium on your payments in 2023, and that threshold is set at 85 points, and then it's on a scale. So um, depending on where you fall on the curve, uh, you can either get a penalty or a bonus for those 2023. Now, for 2021 performance, the maximum downward payment adjustment is uh, 9%. Um, so not an insignificant number that could potentially be a, a downward payment adjustment if you don't involve, uh, aren't involved or don't submit for these MIPS measures. With that being said, there's also opportunities to achieve a bonus. Um, so those are the kind of major big bucket at the end of the year that we all get graded on. And then we can look at each individual bucket. And that's really where the, the devil's in the details of kind of understanding how these impact each one of us and, and how we can report these scores and how we can really validate the quality of care that we're all providing for our patients. You just said bucket, and that's a great buzzword for me as I'm thinking about the, the MIPS program as a whole because there's some nuances in the fact that it's a, a budget neutral program. Can you sort of explain what that means in terms of having potentially pretty significant downward adjustments, but even with sort of maximum points, your, your, your positive adjustment is really only one to 2%. Um, are we just all being that good at MIPS or, or, or how do you explain that? Yeah, and I think that that's a really good question. And so essentially what Thomas is saying is that although that there's in, in years past been significant upward or downward payment adjustments, the vast majority of the payment adjustments fall in one to 2% either above or below. And that's because there's really been a pretty wide window how to avoid penalties. And so I think this, this is a little bit of the carrot and the stick of trying to get people involved in MIPS and be able to understand MIPS and have this really pretty long runway that you can be on to avoid a penalty in the past. Now, as we move on and we get kind of later and more developed and mature in our value journey, 
it's getting harder and harder to avoid a penalty as well as to earn a bonus. So I expect that this, uh, these actually to, to stretch out and be a little more significant, the bonus as well as um, a potential decrease in, in payments. And so I, I think that's something to watch as we move forward. But the way that uh, MACRA and MIPS and the QPP was developed is it's budget neutral. So, you know, if somebody's going to be getting penalized, uh, another person that's potentially opportunity for bonus for them. And so um, it's really kind of put on a, a standard curve and who meets the thresholds and who meets the bonus thresholds and trying to really reward those who are very effective in, in meeting MIPS and different quality measures. So within MIPS, then, we've got our, our four categories that I already outlined. We've got quality being sort of the, the big one and, and the main focus of our conversation. We've got cost. We've got the promoting interoperability and the improvement activities. Um, let's dive into those. And, and how are those weighted in terms of their importance? You know, there'll be ways to sort of meet each of those criteria. And um, let's talk about how how they're weighted in terms of contributing to that final MIPS score. Yeah, great. Um, so let's now kind of dig into the buckets here. So quality is 40% of the final MIPS score. And so when we think about quality, clinicians are asked to report at least six quality measures. And we'll start talking a little bit more about what those quality measures are and how general and really specific they can be. Clinicians are asked to report one outcome or high priority measure, and this is a high priority measure that's set by CMS. So you can actually go online to the QPP website and pull down all the potential MIPS measures. Now, these measures need to be reported on for at least 70% of all patients that are eligible for those measures. And so that's required to meet the completeness uh, requirement for these. So 70% of your Medicare eligible patients. And when we think about these quality measures, there's quality measures that are very general, that are just not particular to any particular specialty. Then there are dermatology specific measures. So you can go to the AAD website and pull down a number of dermatology specific measures, things like uh, MIPS measures that look at melanoma patients and having the treatment plan documented or tuberculosis prevent, uh, prevention in patients on biologics. So these are dermatology specific measures. But what the American College of Mohs Surgery has done is really to try to develop more specific measures for Mohs surgeons um, that really pertain to what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Because when we think about quality, the more specific we can be for quality for the way that we're actually practicing the potential greater the impact that we can potentially have. So some of these measures that were developed by the American College of Mohs Surgery are available to us through the uh, Mosaic, which we'll talk a little bit more about, which is our qualified clinical data registry. But things looking at surgical site infection rate in our, in our post-operative course. Other measures uh, looking at how we document high-risk squamous cell carcinomas and making sure that we're staging our high-risk squamous cell carcinomas, limiting opioid uh, prescriptions after surgery, um, and avoiding post-operative antibiotics. So these are measures that were really developed and, and vetted by the American College of Mohs Surgery and um, with the goal of accurately reflecting either performance gaps or quality improvement measures for, for Mohs surgeons. 
And so these are the different quality measures. So each clinician or clinician group is recommended to report at least as six of these quality measures. And you can report more of those. And what CMS will do is they'll actually uh, take your six highest scoring measures. Now, where this gets even a bit more complicated is how each measure is scored. So for more mature measures, CMS sets benchmarks based on historical data. And again, this is information that's available online. Um, so you can look at what each bucket. So each measure is scored from zero to a maximum of 10 points. Uh, so 10 points would be a maximum score that you could get for an individual measure. But measures much be, must be benchmarked to have that 10 points uh, achievable for new measures. And right now, as a relatively young qualified clinical data registry, uh, Mosaic has several measures that are not yet benchmarked, but will be coming more mature over the coming years. For a measure that does not have a benchmark, maximum score is three points unless CMS is able to benchmark that measure based on data from, from that year. Um, and so really this is all done at year's end. After all the data submitted, CMS looks at it. They say, based on the data that was submitted this year for this particular measure, we can or cannot benchmark it. And then they give that physician or physician group um, their six highest, uh, highest measures. And that ends up being 40% of the overall MIPS final score. So that's, that's quality in, in a nutshell. Now it, it gets a little more complicated because the next bucket or category is cost. And CMS calculates cost performance using claims data. No reporting actually is required under this category. But here, and, and importantly, is for 2021 performance period, CMS has excluded dermatologists uh, from the, the cost measures. And so there's no skin cancer specific episode cost of, of care. And so what this 20% of cost does for um, most surgeons is it actually gets reallocated to quality. So for quality, instead of being 40% of the MIPS final score, it's actually 60%. Now, the American College of Mohs Surgery is working on developing relevant skin cancer-specific episodes of care. Um, so cost may be something that becomes more pertinent to us as Mohs surgeons down the road. But for now, it really is re-weighted into that quality category. Um, and so I think that that's important because it means quality is even more relevant and has an either, even greater impact factor for us. Absolutely. I, I think it's really helpful to hear you outline it like this. And, and even to someone myself who's a little bit familiar with the concepts, it requires looking back to remind myself why technically cost is 20%, but now because of what you just outlined, cost isn't being considered as a, as a measure and is being included in the quality 60%. So to round it out, and before we dive into that quality bucket a little bit more, where are we in terms of promoting interoperability and the improvement activities? I think those are relatively easy to understand, but maybe you can give us a little outline of those two uh, components. Yeah, absolutely. So these are our last two buckets, promoting interoperability, and there are really four main categories to garner score in this category. And this actually represents 25% of our final MIPS score, so not an insignificant number. And for promoting interoperability, the four main categories within it are ability to e-prescribe, health information exchange, so being able to send and receive patient health information electronically with other providers, 
uh, provide patients electronic access to their health information, public health and clinical data exchange, so public health registry reporting. And so to report for this measure, you can do it through the QPP CMS website, or you actually now can submit a QRDA, which is a quality reporting data architecture form through Mosaic. Um, and so that's really promoting interoperability if you use an electronic health record, which, which many of us do, um, is something that is uh, very achievable to get all 25% through, through that. The final bucket is the improvement activities. And so generally clinicians and group must attest to two high-weighted or four medium-weighted activities um, with a overall score of up to 40, 40 points there that you can get with the improvement activities. And so examples of improvement activities are patient education. So if you prescribe benzodiazepines or opioids, documenting in the medical record that you appropriately counsel the patients. Um, those of us that work with clinicians in training, either residents or fellows, medical students, uh, that's an improvement activity. Uh, potentially counseling our patients on tobacco use, that's an improvement activity. So really it's just something where we have to document that we um, are uh, are doing these improvement activities on a year-to-year -year basis. And this is 15% of that final MIPS score that's there. Got it. Thank you. And, and so if we transition now to really talking about our organization and Mosaic, I think by now everybody knows Mosaic to be our registry. And one can think about that registry in terms of research, patient outcomes, and certainly quality. So maybe um, even at the risk of repeating what we've already said, you can tie in how Mosaic relates to the conversation that we're having here. Yeah. So Mosaic was developed to provide meaningful data about patient and physician performance in order to improve outcomes and ultimately maximize our results under new patient models. And so it's a really powerful tool that allows us to input data with the goal of validating the quality of care that we're providing to our, our patients um, and really use this data to support measure development um, that we're proposing to, to CMS. And Thomas, you can speak to this too. I mean, uh, Thomas serves as the chair for the Performance Measure Management Subcommittee, which is uh, instrumental in the development of most of these quality measures that we currently have as most surgeons. Some of those that I was referring to, including opioid use or surgical site in infections. And so, you know, the goal is to use Mosaic as a tool um, to be able to set these measures, track these measures, benchmark these measures, and ultimately just be a, a tool for most surgeons uh, to be able to report these to MIPS so that we can show the high level of care that's being provided while earning the points that we need in, in MIPS that ultimately is impacting um, payment for two years in advance. Thanks. Thanks for that outline. Yeah, and I, and I do want to speak to it a little bit because I think it's really helpful for our, our listeners and, and thus our members to understand how these measures are are developed so basically we we start as a subcommittee of the NRO and we we start by sort of mentally going through our day-to-day -day Mo surgery which means we're brainstorming 
We're looking at existing clinical guidelines. We're performing literature reviews and hoping that in combination, those things identify performance or practice gaps where we as a specialty or subspecialty can measure ourselves and then improve. And so we draft proposed measures, which are then peer reviewed by the entire group and ultimately then submitted to CMS for approval. Now, importantly, and this ties back in with with your role, Adam, is that um, CMS is starting to strongly emphasize patient reported outcome measures rather than process measures. So rather than the checkbox of, did you perform a timeout or was there a biopsy photo available at the time of surgery? It's really more about, does your patient report pain? Does your patient report satisfaction with the procedure, et cetera? And maybe as a small uh, public service announcement or, or maybe even a cry for help, if you, as a dear listener, have a brilliant idea of a patient-reported outcome measure that's easily trackable and measurable, please just shoot us an email, either me personally or um, via info at mohscollege.org, and it will get to the right people. So um, we've got tons of excellent process measures that we can potentially work on, but we really want to follow suit with CMS's recommendations for patient-reported outcome measures in the future. Um, anything to add regarding the patient-reported outcome measures, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just a, a huge shout out and thank you to to your subcommittee and ACMS leadership for the time and energy and thoughtfulness that goes into the development of these measures and identifying potential practice gaps, but also identifying measures that help validate the quality of care that's being being provided. It is a tremendous amount of, of work and, and thoughtfulness that, that goes into the development of these measures that ultimately drive the way that, that we practice medicine. So um, super important uh, work that, that that group's doing. I think as far as patient reported outcome measures and, you know, understanding how patients perceive the quality of care that that's being provided. Um, there have been a lot of discussions and CMS has set this as a high priority as Thomas has uh, really kind of acknowledged. And um, we're spending a lot of time trying to think about how to develop meaningful patient reported outcome measures. Uh, what are important thresholds to act upon and, and what are the measures that we have? And you know, right now, uh, the, the Mohs College has uh, been working really closely with the FACE-Q skin cancer that was developed by Memorial Sloan Kettering. And this is actually seven unique question, questionnaires that measure three domains of care, appearance, health-related quality of life, and patient experience of, of care. And so um, these seven unique questionnaires ask us, uh, allow us to ask different questions about how patients perceive their care. And currently, we're running a pilot on satisfaction with information on appearance. And so this is a six-question questionnaire that really um, asks patients about how much information they were given on how their skin cancer surgery would impact their appearance. And it has a standardized score and it's been validated. So shout out to the group at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering for their work on this. And the goal is to, to ultimately find what of these measures we can roll out to the greater membership with the idea that these just get automatically pushed out to our patients after surgery. You know, many of us are in, in groups that have um, CAP surveys that go out uh, asking patients about their satisfaction with the care that they received. And that's very general. It's, you know, was the check-in person friendly? Did you feel like 
that you were listened to during the encounter, well, these are much more skin cancer specific. So ultimately the idea is that they would allow us to identify either gaps or opportunities for improvement in our practice and be able to act on these uh, patient reported outcomes. So I think that this is a, this is an area where there will be more to come soon and, and probably could, uh, we could do a, a podcast on patient reported outcome measures and uh, what the future of them actually looks like. But I think that this is definitely an area where we're going to be hearing a lot more. Now we're rep- recording here at the beginning of fall. It's late September. COVID is still everywhere and finds its way into this podcast also. How does COVID impact any of what we've just discussed? Yeah, I think the answer is um, it definitely still has an impact on how many of us are are practicing and CMS acknowledges that. So there's a policy that's called the extreme and uncontrollable circumstance policy. And so CMS, I acknowledge that the COVID-19 pandemic is still impacting clinicians across the United States. And this policy allows clinicians or groups to request reweighting of one or more MIPS performance categories due to the COVID-19 health emergency. So for example, if the improvement activities was not able to be met over this last year um, because of COVID, uh, you can submit a a form for this and ask that to be reweighted to quality. Or if you weren't able to report on all six of the quality measures, you can ask for it to be reweighted. So um, CMS is, is open and understands that this is still impacting all of us. So uh, again, more information on the CMS website, but this ex- extreme and uncontrollable circumstance policy is, is really this form that can be completed that allows for reweighting a measurement. So I strongly encourage most surgeons that have had to significantly change their practices or haven't been able to do all of their MIPS reporting like they normally would because of uh, COVID to to take a deeper dive into this and get that completed. Awesome, Adam. Well, I think this was was really comprehensive and, and hopefully will will help our members have a good foundation of, of MIPS and quality as it relates to most surgery. Before we close, is there anything else that you think would be important for our listeners to to know about the topic? Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the other things that I wanted to point out is the American College of Mohs Surgery has a number of resources on their on their website to make more sense of this uh, alphabet soup that you and I have taken a deep dive into. And so um, there's a really detailed PDF document on 2020 uh, MIPS and, and how Mosaic, our qualified clinical data registry, relates to this. And hopefully in the next month to to six weeks, we'll be publishing on the 2021 CMS final rule. And so how this really pertains to most surgeons. Ultimately, our goal is to develop a more robust education for the membership on what can really be a quite confusing and and deep dive into into quality. Our goal is to to make it as digestible as possible, as well as clinically relevant to what we do on a day-to-day basis. So I want to thank you for taking the time to to chat about this important subject and for all the work that you're doing as well as your subcommittee and as well as ACMS leadership. I I couldn't agree more with you and I think we we really in this closing need to acknowledge that we're standing on the shoulders of giants Um, Howard Rogers, Mark Ruth, Chris Baum and and so many others who've contributed so significantly to this registry effort and to these quality programs 
and certainly also behind the scenes, I, I want to recognize Tammy O'Connell, who's our ACMS registry manager, who has really been working tirelessly on this program. And of course, the staff of Arbometrics, which is the company that's actually implementing the registry. So, um, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I want to also thank our listeners for their attention. By way of housekeeping, the abstract um, submission is now open for the 2022 meeting in Philadelphia with a deadline of January 11th. Uh, we'll be resuming our sort of research-based, surgical-based podcast soon. So please um, let us know if there's any article or guest in particular you'd like to hear on the show. Please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. And thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time on Conversations in Mohs Surgery.